0: Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Beginning here at Heavenward Thinking. Today we're continuing on with the story of Abraham and Lot. As we talked about last week, they separated uh, and went their own ways because the land was not able to uh, host both parties because they had so many herdsmen and they had so many flocks and animals and people in their uh, separate parties that were combined for a while. And now we see that they were separated in Genesis chapter 13. And we're going to see what God does with Abraham and what God does uh, with Lot or what He has to do for Lot and what Abraham has to do to rescue Lot in Genesis chapter 14. So that's where we're at today, and we're going to read it and get right into our discussion of Genesis 14. In the days of Ampharel, king of Shinar, Ariach, king of Elisar, Shadalomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Shadalomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Shadalomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karname, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in of Kirithaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as Alperin on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Emishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar) went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidon with Shadalomar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goem, Ampharel, king of Shinar, and Ariach, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and of Anar. These were allies of Abram, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the posi- possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Shadalomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabah, that is, the king's valley, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol and Mamre take their share. So here in Genesis chapter 14, we have a lot of different uh, things in this story, a lot of confusing and very hard to pronounce names, uh, but oh, It's important to look at this chapter, even though a lot of people skip over it as not as important. What we see first, what strikes me in this chapter is how detailed scripture is, and a lot of people criticize scripture and, and its accuracy and its historical accuracy, but it's amazing to look at stories like this where scripture goes out. It seems like it's going on a tangent here of this little subplot with Abram rescuing Lot, and we have this whole detailed battle of the kings and all of, all these different kings, four against five, all their names, all their places they came from, and all their people, and it, it's hard to read, but it shows us the incredible detail of scripture. And that's important for us as Christians to know that we serve a God who gave us his word and that it's very detailed and that it's historically accurate, it's biblically accurate, it's it's theologically accurate. And as we have uh, started going throughout scripture, we've pointed to how important it is to understand that God's word is the basis uh, for our lives and God's authority is the basis for our lives. And we've challenged the idea of man's word and man's authority coming up against God's word and, and saying, nope, we're going to take man's word. Instead, here at Heavenward Thinking, we've tried to inform you of God's word and show you that it is reliable. As we looked at the whole Genesis account and we discounted uh, the popular evolutionary views and we saw... How a young earth creationist view is biblically sound and historically sound and is, is scientifically sound. And here we see another way that the Bible is sound in the historical accuracy of it. And it's important to, when we see passages like this or when we see a whole genealogy list, just look at it and say, wow, God gave us this incredible, amazing word of his that is so detailed in so many different ways and shows us that it is reliable, that it is totally different than any other kind of book that has been written, and that we need to trust in God and trust in his word. And then when we look at this chapter in Genesis chapter 14, uh, the first part of it is about Abram rescuing Lot. And once again, this is before Abraham has had his name changed from Abram to Abraham, and we have that uh, as our Uh, header here, making sure that we look at that and say this is before Abraham's name was changed. We're going to look at that in the next couple weeks. Uh, But here it's still being called Abram. And we see that something is going wrong uh, with Lot, that he unfortunately is the victim of this whole attack uh, of these kings and how they took over uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And it points out, once again, the Chapter that we just finished last week of Genesis chapter 13, where we saw that Lot selfishly took the land that looked better to him. He didn't take, uh, the land that would have been, uh, lesser and give it to Abraham, the better land. No, instead he took the better land that he thought was better, and he selfishly took that going somewhere where he shouldn't have been going. Uh, we will see later on how corrupt Sodom and Gomorrah were, the places he chose to live in and, and associate with people, uh, who were not good characters, who were not people of a godly origin and here in this chapter we see that there are consequences for when we're in the wrong place at the wrong time Uh, he was in the wrong place and at the wrong time he was uh, taken a prisoner and it was because Abram came and rescued him that he was set free otherwise he would have been a prisoner for who knows how long uh, and been uh, treated very poorly by these kings as their prisoners so Uh, It's important for us when we look at this chapter to see how can we apply it to our lives. It might be a little different of a a type of chapter than some that we're used to, uh, but we can see here that we need to make sure that we're in the right places at the right times for the right reasons, making sure that we are being submissive to God's will, making sure that we're not being selfish, because selfishness gets us in the place like Lot. Selfishness gets us places where we shouldn't be, around people we shouldn't be around, and in terrible timing for things. Like he was at the wrong place, the wrong time with the wrong people. And and that's going to be uh, something we look at again when we see how he is involved in the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and how God has to providentially rescue him from that again uh, to get him out of where he shouldn't have been. Uh, so we have to make sure that in our own lives, we're living uh, where God wants us to be, and making sure that we're not being selfish, but instead choosing God's plan, God's authority, and God's word over our own plans, our own word, and our own authority. So that's an important point of application from the first half of this chapter. And then in the second half of the chapter, we have this uh, little blessing by Melchizedek, and. Uh, Well, let's look again at the blessing. It says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So we see here in this, once again, God is watching out for Abraham and his family by extension. God made a way for Abraham to rescue his nephew Lot. And we see that even though Uh, they were still separated and Lot didn't come back and join Abraham forever and they didn't all have a great kumbaya moment, Uh, at least God provided a way for him to rescue his family and to provide for his family and give him another chance. Unfortunately, uh, Lot didn't take the chance and do something good with it. Instead, he went right back to Sodom and Gomorrah eventually and got into some more trouble. But it's important to see that God is continuing to be faithful to Abraham. He's continuing to do something extraordinary through him and through the lives of those around him, already making Abraham a blessing to those around him. As we know, uh, the promise was that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. We see already God is fulfilling a small part of that promise by making him a blessing to his family, those around him, his men, that whole area of the country. And we see that God is faithful. And in our own lives, we can be confident of God's faithfulness. We look at scripture, we see example after example of God's faithfulness. And so we're able to be encouraged that God's going to help us through the things of life, through the difficulties of life. And he's going to be faithful to do what he has promised. If he's given you a calling, be faithful to him because he's going to be faithful to you and make sure uh, that his plans are taken care of for you. He has great plans for each and every one of us if we are just willing to be submissive to his will. So that's an important point in this uh, passage that we tend to look uh, over and to totally glance across and not focus on. Uh, and then it's important to understand the whole Melchizedek thing is a great foreshadowing. This little story of Melchizedek, we don't know much about him in the Old Testament. He's not mentioned a lot in the Old Testament, but he becomes important in the book of Hebrews. And when we get to Hebrews eventually, we're going to see that that it's a, a total foreshadowing of the person and work of Jesus Christ, how uh, Melchizedek foreshadowed Jesus as our uh atonement, Jesus as our high priest before God, just as Melchizedek was called a priest of God most high in this chapter. So it's a cool uh, type of typology, uh, which we we see all throughout scripture. As we've talked about, typology is when we see something in the Old Testament or, or in the beginning of the new testament that then is fulfilled ultimately in the work of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ and it foreshadows uh, what Jesus is going to eventually come and do. So that's an important thing to to keep in mind as we're going throughout scripture that uh, there are many many times throughout scripture that we see a glimpse a little foreshadowing of Jesus coming and we're all trying we're pointing everything towards Jesus as all scripture was and as Jesus himself said it points to him and it's fulfilled in him. He came to fulfill scripture. So as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, when we saw the first foreshadowing of the promise of a seed of the woman coming, and uh, that seed eventually being Jesus, we continue to see little bits and pieces of a foreshadowing of God's ultimate plan of redemption for all of humanity through Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind as we go throughout scripture. Well, I hope you've been challenged by this this week and that you will join us next week as we talk about God's covenant with Abram in Genesis chapter 15. So join us next week for another episode of From the Beginning here at Heavenward Thinking.